I appreciate you guys all being out here, uh, braving the uh, potential sun. I don't know. Some of you are fanning yourselves, and uh, you're already hot. I don't know what to do. I'll just try to talk quick, I guess. Uh, you also braved the early morning, right? I got up uh, this morning, and uh, one of my daughters, who's a teenager, said she wanted to come with me early, and she's not an early riser. So I went into her room, and I said, uh, On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And I command you, in the name of Jesus, rise up out of that bed. Be loosened from those sheets. It is time to go to church. Right? And so we had, a good, uh, we had a good laugh with that this morning. She actually sprung right up. We realized, oh, she can get out of bed if she wants to. So. Or if the power of God is drawing her out of the bed. It's awesome to have you kids with us. Let's give a hand to these uh, kids that are with us today. Uh, a lot of times y'all are in your classes, but you're here with us today. We're so excited. And maybe some of you, if, if any of you first graders are here, maybe some of you were in a class one day where the Sunday school teacher asked the first graders, since Easter was coming up, hey, let's write some notes to God. And so the kids kind of wrote their notes to God, and, and they came up with some pretty cool things that they wrote to God. One kid wrote, wrote this, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. That's what my mom did for me and my brother. Another said, uh, dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you already have? Uh, another kid said, dear God, I bet it's very hard to love everyone in the world. There are only four people in our family, and I'm having a very hard time loving all of them. Another kid said, dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? One said, dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golfing words in the house? One kid went to a wedding, said, Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? One said, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but I think you got confused. What I asked for was a puppy. One said, Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. I can see my son uh, having that kind of a prayer. And Dear God, uh, my, my brother told me about how people are born, but it doesn't sound right. He's just kidding, isn't he? <laughs> I love that. And it's probably a good thing that we don't remember how we're born, right? We just celebrate the birthday, right? The process of it is not a really pleasant experience really for anybody, um, but we celebrate the birthday. And, and today is really celebrating a birthday. Easter, I don't know if you have thought about this or known this, but Easter is a birthday. On Easter, what we're celebrating is the birth of the new creation. God made everything in Genesis 1. He made it good. He made us in his image. He calls us very good. And we fell into sin. We rebelled against God. We distorted that image. The world has lived with all of that brokenness ever since. And in Jesus Christ, with the resurrection of Jesus, what, what God is doing is actually creating, birthing the new creation, that Jesus didn't come just to have our sins forgiven so that we could go to heaven, but that Jesus came so that our sins would be forgiven and heaven would come to earth. And the new birth of that, the first time that really emerges where there's a taste of the new heavens and the new earth is with the resurrection of Jesus. So today's a birthday that we're celebrating. We're going to celebrate by looking at Acts chapter 2. That's what we read just a moment ago. This takes place about six weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. But some people have called Acts 2 the birthday of the church. 
that it's in Acts 2 where the Apostle Peter preaches and the church goes from being a gathering of maybe 120 or so people to actually being thousands of thousands of people. It's the birth of the church as they hear about the birth of the new creation through the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look really at kind of a first Easter sermon from the Apostle Peter. And this uh, sermon, even just in these few verses that we're going to explore today, really answers three key questions. Who is Jesus for? What did Jesus do? What does Jesus want for us? Who is Jesus for? What did Jesus do? And what does Jesus want for us? What does Jesus want for you, for me? Let's pray and uh, let's explore this together. Father, we invite you now to come by your spirit and to speak to us through your word to help us to see that Jesus came for us, that what he did is spectacular, and to be able to respond to what you're inviting us into. And so, God, I pray that you would give us uh, faith to hear and that you would work in power in this moment, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First question that we see out of this uh, sermon from Peter on Pentecost in Acts 2 is, who is Jesus for? Who is Jesus for? And the answer is, he's for knuckleheaded sinners and put-together righteous people. Knuckleheaded sinners and put-together righteous people. He's for knuckleheaded sinners. That's who Peter was. Think about who's the one delivering this sermon. He is a guy who's a knuckleheaded sinner. For those of you who are a regular part of Redemption Gateway, as we've walked through the Gospel of John over these last months, we've been on kind of this uh, subplot of following Peter and seeing what's going on in Peter's life. And you will remember, if you've been with us through that, that Peter's the one who always thinks he's better than all the other disciples. He's kind of got the foot-shaped mouth. He's always saying uh, what you really shouldn't say at the wrong time. And so he says, if everybody else falls away, Jesus, I'll never stop following you. I'll die for you. And yet just a little while later, Peter's the one standing there denying Jesus three times. He goes away and he weeps bitterly because finally, for the first time, he realizes He's a knuckleheaded sinner. He needs grace. And he gets grace. And then as we saw in John chapter 21, Peter is restored by Jesus. Jesus gives him the opportunity to tell him he loves him three times. He says, okay, go feed my sheep. And so now here he is, this knuckleheaded sinner with the gospel of grace. The gospel is also for, Jesus is also for, put together religious people. Now, a lot of you would not say that you're a religious person, right? No one wants to be a religious person. That sounds kind of bad. But a lot of you want to be put together. And I'm looking out here. Y'all are pretty put together. And, and you know what I want to tell you? For you put together people who are like pretty good, Jesus came for you too. For you knuckleheaded sinners, your temptation is to think, you know, I don't know if God could ever love me. I don't know if, if God, if he knew what I did. I don't, I don't know if he could ever really forgive me, if he'd really ever want to have me near him. And what I want to say to you is, come on, who do you think you are? You think your sin is bigger than God's love? And for those of you who are pretty good, you're pretty put together, you're like the audience that Peter's talking to, and you sort of think, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't know, I don't know if, I, if I need all this Christianity stuff. I'm a good person already. Here's what I want to say to you. Come on, who do you think you are? You think your goodness is big enough for God's holiness? Jesus came for knuckleheaded sinners. He came for put together righteous people. What did he do? That's the second question. Uh, this passage tells us three things that he did. Look again at Acts chapter two in uh, verse 22. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders 
and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. In these few verses, we see what Jesus did. We see first that Jesus came with signs and wonders to be a preview of his new creation kingdom. Uh, how many of you like free samples? I mean, how good are free samples? Like, like, isn't that like the best part of Costco is the free samples, right? Like, remember when, when COVID started and we were all like, you know, maniacs rushing into Costco to try to get toilet paper, you know, that was hard enough, but then they took away the samples. How are you going to do us like that? I mean, come on, the samples. And some of you, you hate Costco. It's too busy. It's too, and you'll never go on a Saturday. Here's what I want to tell you. Thank you for not going on Saturday because Saturday is the best samples and that leaves more for me. Uh, and it's just great. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Jesus came with his signs and wonders and mighty works, all these things that Peter's talking about. And Jesus didn't do this just to be impressive. He didn't do it just to kind of be a hype machine. Why did he do all these things? He did it as a preview, as a sample. Hey, here's what's possible. Here's what's coming in my future kingdom. Here's what happens when heaven meets earth. This is a taste of the new creation. Jesus came with signs and wonders. He also came to die for sinners is what Peter tells us. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was part of God's plan. Jesus wasn't a helpless victim. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Think about that. That's God's plan. And he's going to send his son not to crush the enemy through power, but to crush the enemy through sacrificial weakness. Any of you watched The Last Dance over the last couple of years? This was this documentary on Netflix, just a spectacular thing about the 90s Bulls and Michael Jordan. And if you're into sports at all, it is totally worth checking out. And one of the things that you realize in that thing is that Michael Jordan is a cold-blooded killer. I mean, that guy just wants to pile drive you into the ground. And one of the people that was interviewed in there that kind of talked about what you see as you follow the life of Michael Jordan is that Michael Jordan was successful Really, the way that all of us think success happens is Michael Jordan was driven by success in that he had to crush you. If you were his opponent, he had to crush you. If you were on his team, he had to crush you. The way he would get you to do what he wanted on his team is he'd crush you. The way he would defeat you is he would crush you. And that's the way it works in our world, isn't it? You want to get ahead in politics? You want to get ahead in business? You want to get ahead in sports? You got to crush the competition. But, but what do we find in the kingdom of God is that rather than crushing, God comes and is crushed. He's the one put to death by the hands of lawless men. And, and here's what I want to tell you. That is so absurd that it must be true. You wouldn't make that up. That doesn't fit with any of the ways that we think about what should happen in the world. But when God comes to make things new, he does it not by crushing us, but by being crushed for us. Jesus came to give us a preview of the kingdom, to die in our place, and then he rose from the dead. Verse 24 says, God raised him up. God raised him up. Man, that's a, that's a good line. God raised him up. And look at what it says, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus rose from 
the dead. And, and this, this word pangs, it's a really interesting word. It says, uh, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That word pangs, if you look at it in the original language, what it literally means is birth pains. Birth pains. That's a weird word. God raised him up, loosing the birth, pain, the birth pains of death. In other words, everyone has been held down by death, and Jesus in his resurrection is giving birth to something new. He's giving birth to the new creation. He's giving birth to new hope. He's giving birth to new future. He's giving birth to new relationship with God. In the resurrection, Jesus is, is doing something new. So that's what Jesus does. The last question this passage answers is, what does Jesus want for us? Everyone's cut to the heart in verse 37. What should we do? And the first thing Peter says is you should repent. What does Jesus want for these people? What does Jesus want for you? What does Jesus want for me? Here's what he wants. He wants us to repent. Now, that may feel like a real churchy word. You don't hear that out and about a lot. But the word repent simply means to turn around. It's the idea of doing a U-turn, of, 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 of going the other way. You were going one direction. Now you're going to start going another direction. And you could say that the whole point of Peter's sermon is kind of driving to this point. Some, someone summarized the sermon in Acts 2 this way. You killed him. God raised him. Say you're sorry. <laughs> That's kind of Peter's message. Just pretty bold, right? These, a lot of these people, they were the ones responsible for putting Jesus to death. He says, you killed him. God raised him. Say you're sorry. And repentance is that process of saying you're sorry. Now, now here's the thing. Uh, this is not, so kids, kids, have any of you ever do this where your, your mom or dad says to you after you, you know, mistreat your brother or sister, they say, say you're sorry. And you go like this. I'm sorry. Hey, can I give you a spoiler alert? None of us believe you. You're a little liar. You're not sorry. You're not sorry. You're not fooling anybody. We know you're not sorry. And that's not what this is. Repentance is not just say the thing, go through the motion, say the words, say the magic prayer. That's not what it is. It's saying at a heart level, make a U-turn. Realize that the way you've been going is not a way toward life or connection with God. It's actually going away from it. And turn around. Come toward the Lord. What does Jesus want first? He wants us to repent. Second thing he wants is for us to align ourselves with him. In Acts 2, it's described as baptism. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. By faith, we trust in Jesus and we align ourselves with him. If you uh, think of re repentance as the U-turn, think of baptism and faith and trust in God as the merging you're merging your life into his. You're aligning your life with his. So much so that the Bible uses the, the language of being united, having union with, with Christ. And that's what we're trying to do is to trust in him. As Seth said, we're going to celebrate baptism in just a, a little bit. And what you're going to hear is all these stories of people describing how they were going one way, they repented, and now Jesus in his grace has allowed their lives to merge with his. So we repent, we align ourselves with him, and what happens when that happens is Peter says, here's what's going to happen. Do this for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. What does Jesus want for us? What does Jesus want for you? For me? He wants you to experience forgiveness. Forgiveness for the sins you've committed. Forgiveness for the good things you didn't do. He wants you to experience forgiveness. And any effort that you do to try to make yourself feel better about yourself through your moral striving, it ain't going to work. 
a few weeks ago, we were in California for spring break and we went to the beach one day and my dad, um, right before we got into the van to head back to the hotel, he stepped in this kind of tar puddle, I guess. I don't know exactly what happened, but it was like this real sticky, oily tar thing. It was all over his foot. And so he was trying to get it off. And before we got in the van, he tried to get it off. And, and how did he try to get it off? Well, he tried to wipe it off with his hand. Well, now he had it on two appendages. Right? And that's what we're like when we try to clean up our act. Some of you, you go, I don't know if I need to trust Jesus. I don't know. If, all this surrender talk, that feels like I'd lose a lot of power. I, I, I'll just try to do better. And here's what I'm telling you. You're just going to smear it around more. What my dad needed was to go to a, we went to an auto mechanic place where they have this soap that's real gritty. And that was actually, it was this external power that actually was able to make him clean. And in the same way, you need to repent of your sins, merge your life with Jesus by faith, and you'll experience forgiveness. And finally, what Jesus wants for us is he wants us to receive his Holy Spirit. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have this new creation power in us. This is not just about, well, he's a taste of the new creation that's coming, but he is the taste of it in his resurrection, and then Jesus pours out his Spirit on us so that we can have a new power for living. New power to forgive, new power to have hope, new power to love, new power for self-control, new power for kindness, new power for joy. That's what the Spirit comes to give us, new power. Uh, it's such a joy to have my whole family here today. A lot of times my younger kids are in the kids' ministry, but uh, my son, who's our youngest, he loves to drum. Right, just sitting with me there earlier, he's looking at the drummer, and he just is obsessed with look, every all day. He's just drumming stuff. Like, hey, quit drumming. Hey, quit drumming. That's all the time. And there was this one time where we were hanging out with this guy who's like a real deal, like professional drummer. And uh, Hank was there, and he, he had a chance to kind of play the drums. And, and he's got pretty good rhythm for a little guy. I think there's a future there. But he sounded like a five-year-old playing drums. And then JB said, hey, hey, come here. Sit on my lap. And Hank sat on his lap. And, and JB put his hands over Hank's hands, which were holding the sticks. And JB said, let's play. Right? And he, now he's playing like a professional drummer. Listen, that's the life of the Holy Spirit. You're still living, but you're covered with a new power. You're given a new strength. You're given a new ability. You're given a new life. That's what's at stake today. This is not just about, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we got a bunch of people together to kind of sing some songs and wear pretty dresses and have a nice day. This is about, man, you have an opportunity to experience the life that only comes through Jesus Christ. So if you're here today as someone that does not consider yourself a follower of Christ, man, I'm so glad you're here. And I just want you to hear this. This is an invitation for you to have a birthday today. For you to stop living in your own strength and in your own power and with your own everything depends on you. And actually to surrender that to Jesus, to rest in him and to find new life in him. And if you're already a Christian, man, this is such a day to celebrate. Because you're going, yes, I love this Lord. I love this Jesus. I love what he's done in my life. I love what he's doing in our church. I want to see him do it in our community, in our world. And so this is a chance to celebrate. So that's how we're going to close the rest of this service is we're going to celebrate. In just a few moments, the band is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in some songs. Uh, as Seth said, we're going to get to hear uh, stories of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And uh, here's, here's what I want to say. 
the, the sun's getting a little warm in it. Some of you are like, this is nothing. I'm from Vermont. This is, bring it on. I want it hotter. Okay. But it's starting to get warm. But listen, we only got a little bit of time here. Let's celebrate this thing. I want us to sing and celebrate and shout and clap so loud that at the end of this, you're like, I'm going to one of those tents. I need some water. All right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate. We're going to rejoice in how God is at work. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your abundant grace and mercy to us. God, thank you for the new creation that was born in the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that we get to participate in that, to get a taste of that, to have a glimpse of that. Thank you for these folks who are being baptized today, who are going to share their stories and invite us into the way that you've worked in their life. God, I pray that this would be just a really sweet time for them and for their families and for our church. And God, I pray that you would just uh, put a song in our hearts, a song of celebration, a song of hope. Lord, a lot of us are carrying heavy stuff. And everything about this can feel real chipper and, and happy clappy. Lord, that's not what we feel today. We feel that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our brokenness, we see that because of Jesus, there is hope. And so this isn't happy clappy celebration. This is deeply rooted in the fact that we have life and hope and a future because of you. So we pray it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.